Mother's Day to all you mothers. And those of you who are not mothers, may you have a blessed day, okay? Now, since it is Mother's Day, I had a plan to uh, buy a special gift for a special person in my uh, life. So I did some research, and I discovered uh, there are some really good online discounts uh, for women's clothing and accessories. And I found this uh, website that just sells designer products. Um, and as I looked through it, they had designer shoes and designer boots and even designer rain boots. They had designer jewelry, designer bracelets, designer necklaces, um, designer earrings. They had designer dresses and designer jackets and blazers and designer t-shirts and tops and designer sweatshirts and hoodies, designer suits and scarves and um, sweaters and designer hats and, and caps. And along with that, there are, are designer handbags and designer backpacks and designer luggage. So I was trying to get a special gift. Um, and um, here are just uh, some, of, some of the items I came across. Uh, so notice this. This is uh, Dolce and Gabbana. This is a belt. Just costs $984. It is on sale for $898. You could get that today. Uh, next, we have Marnie sneakers. This, these are really cool. Uh, regular price, $820. You can get them today for just $529. And then, uh, how about this pair? Uh, Balenciaga. I said that right. Uh, workout shoes, $1,150. Okay? And then uh, next we have the, oh yes, the platform sandals. I won't even try to pronounce that. Uh, you can buy them for $680, but on sale now for $359. And then we have Alexander McQueen. Uh, how about these? Glitter shoes, extra special. Regular price, $1,375. Get them today for just $1,076. Or how about these Valentino pumps? These are really cool. $990, but today only $800. And then lastly, there's a Valentino mini handbag. Uh, regular price, $1,155. Get it now for just $799. Um, so after I did all this research for Sue... She just wanted a summer pass to Eau Claire Fitness. <laughs> Saved a lot of money. <laughs> With all the designer stuff, why don't we have designer families? You ever think about that? Why not designer families? Because we have the most famous designer and the most influential designer in all of the world, in all of history. God is the one who designed the family, and that's what we want to talk about today. God designed the family. 
Um, he designed both male and female. And that's, we start right here. He designed both male and female. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. When it comes to uh, the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 1 is a panoramic view. It's a macro view of creation. It's all six days. It's everything God created. Okay. When you get to chapter 2, it's going to be different. We're going to look at that in a second. In chapter 2, it's a micro view. It, it hones in on the sixth day and only part of the sixth day. It, it, it zeroes in only on the creation of humans. Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God is our original designer. He is our architect and engineer. He is our creator. He made us in his image. And that will separate us from all of creation, from the rest of creation. We are not apes. We are not monkeys. We are not even their descendants. We are not descended from chimpanzees. We were created in the image of God. God has a really high view of humanity. That's how he designed us. In fact, he he put us, he put humanity in charge of all of creation. No one else. God is the one who designed our gender. Gender. He appointed our gender. Your gender was appointed by God. God chose male and female to be created in His image. It was His choice. It wasn't our choice. Um, today, we have much confusion over this subject over gender issues, and there are many different reasons. There are psychological reasons, there are biological reasons, and technology has influenced a whole lot of how people think today. Not that technology is bad, but it certainly raises a whole lot of possibilities that didn't used to exist. God created two genders, not three genders, not four genders, not five or multiple genders. That was a choice of humanity, not a choice that came from God. In Genesis 2-7, man, male, is created, created from the dust of the ground. In Genesis 2-22, the woman was created from the side of of the man. Um, And and God has a very high view of humanity created in the image of God. Also, he designed the marriage relationship. When we think about families, our God designed marriage. That's going to be important. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one 
flesh. This was the original design. This passage is the foundation of marriage in all cultures in all of the world. And if you study ancient civilization, it's amazing how people far away have monogamous relationships in their history. Foundational. Now, yeah, it changes. A lot of, a lot of de- uh, different perspectives come in in separation from God, but the original was two become one. In fact, it was a man and it was a woman. God designed for marriage. Uh, Both husband and wife are to separate from their families, from their parents, and then they establish a new home and the two of them become one, a new family unit, two become one flesh. Very clearly, uh, it's, a, it's a sexual re- uh, reference for a sexual relationship to become one flesh, but it's way more than that. It's, it's about a lifetime commitment to this one flesh relationship. It's exclusive. You don't bring other people in to share that. There's one husband and one wife. It was never God's plan to have multiple partners. Not God's plan. Now with a one flesh relationship, one husband, one wife, God designed a a safe place to raise kids. And um, by the by the way, I'll, I'm going to come back to that. Safe place, you know. Mom's there every day. Dad's there every day. They, we we can we can count on. We have assurance that when it comes to my parents, they're going to be there for me. So. Marriage is about two people, one man, one woman, hooking up for life. Um, Jesus uh, talked about this in marriage. He had an important perspective. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6, Jesus was questioned, and uh, some Pharisees came to him to test him. So their purpose wasn't legitimate. Their, Their purpose was to trip him up, to trick him, to get him to mess up his response. Um, The question was, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, there was some politics involved behind the scenes about which side you pick, Jesus. You're going to choose one and you're going to make a mistake and the other side's going to be against you. Um, And here's how Jesus responded. I think this is an amazing response. He says, haven't you read? Now, they're supposed to be experts in the scripture and he's challenging them about what they know. Haven't you read? It's always been there. Haven't you read? That at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. That's Genesis 1.27. He's quoting chapter 1. This is how God made marriage. Okay, next slide. Uh, 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's Genesis 2.24. That's what Jesus refers to. He takes them back to the original. This is what marriage is based on. This is the foundation. And then he adds this. He, he raises the bar here. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. King James, let no one put asunder. Don't separate. Don't destroy. That was, that's, that was God's ideal. That was Jesus' ideal. It hasn't changed. Uh, the Apostle Paul affirmed this in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. The foundational passage. Now, I'm not here to bash anybody who who has lived a different experience for different reasons and been a difficult marriage that hasn't worked. And I know there's all kinds of reasons why marriages fail. And I'm not here. I'm so great that God gives us do-overs and he forgives our sin and, and he builds and restores families. But we just need to be reminded of what the original design was. Because we often lose folk. We don't see the big picture. And that's my purpose today is I want us on Mother's Day to see the big picture for the family. Next, also, he designed the way for babies to be born. Who did? God did. I know you already knew that. Galatians, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Adam made love to his wife. I think the two became one, is what I think. And she became pregnant, and she gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, right off, she acknowledges it was a God thing. With the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man, a male child. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, just as a reminder... God is the one who designed the sexual relationship and all of its parts. God designed the method of conception. God designed pregnancy. God designed fetal development. He designed the birth process. God designed the development of infants from their infancy to adulthood. Smart people did not come up with this. Sometimes smart people want to alter it or change it. And I just want to remind us today who we are, where we have come from, and why we are here. Second major point, God's design has been corrupted. There's been a distortion since God's original design. Something has changed. Some things have gotten messed up. If we go back to Genesis, uh, we see God's first instruction in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And um, verse 16 says, The Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God puts uh, the first couple in this paradise, this perfect earthly existence. And he's given them all kinds of freedom. 
They don't have to wear clothes. And he says, okay, I have one limitation. There's one boundary. There's one tree. You can, you, you can have everything else. There's one tree just wants you not to eat the fruit of. Got it? Yeah, got it, got it. And then we see uh, the human's first corruption. We see sin, the first violation of God's standards. Um, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, the one that God had said, you know what, I don't want you to, I don't want you to eat this, okay? And so the woman, uh, you know, right away uh, saw the fruit of the tree was good. And so she starts thinking about it and she starts reasoning and she starts thinking about the advantages and the benefits and the what ifs. She, she sees that it was good for food and it was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for, for gaining wisdom. How can you pass this up? So she, she reasoned. God said this. I've considered it. I've thought about it. I have a better idea. And she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. It wasn't just the woman's fault. He was a spiritual wimp. He knew what they were responsible for. And then we come uh, to the first murder in the Bible, and that's in Genesis chapter uh, 4, verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, these are the first kids, the first human kids born to a couple. He says, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Boy, it doesn't take long. How destructive the human condition is. Uh, Cain just did what seemed right to him. And out of his anger, he kills his very own brother. Family gets smaller quick. The door for sin and corruption is thrown wide open in the book of Genesis. When you think about uh, Jacob's family in the book of Genesis, it's one of the most dysfunctional family. It's a great example of family dysfunction. Go ahead and read it and look for family dysfunction. Because if you just look at Jacob's family, violence and war and murder and theft and sexual immorality and lying and revenge, that's just his family. He was a hero. And then we go to somebody like King David. It even gets worse with King David, the man after God's own heart. We haven't come very far since then. Yet we have more technology technology to help us, more information, more knowledge. You know, we're going to get smarter and smarter and we're going to solve all these problems. And we keep trying to solve problems and it seems to be, this is an amazing time in the history of the world. Things are still pretty corrupt. But there is good news, and that is that God sent His Son, Jesus, to save families from their sin. Now, I know He sent Jesus for all people, not just certain families, but He did send Jesus for your family. 
He sent Jesus for your family. And just be reminded of that. So God provided a way, the way, and you already know that. Scripture says, just let me remind us, Scripture says, you know what, we're, we're all sinners. There's not like good sinners and bad sinners. We're all in the same boat. We've all fallen short of God's standards. His standards are perfection. He's a holy God, and we don't do well in that category. And there are consequences for sin. The wages of sin is death, and that's not just physical death. It includes physical death, but it's a spiritual death, a spiritual separation from God. Jesus described it as hell, condemnation to hell. That is the consequences for sin. The good news is God sent Jesus for the remedy, for the ransom, to pay our price. Because God is holy, God has to judge sin. He has to judge sin. And He chose to do it through His Son, who was a perfect sacrifice without sin. And the value of Jesus' life infinitely valuable, paid for the sin of the entire world because He is God. It's paid for. That's the good news. And the offer is to any person. Um, John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Its only requirement is to believe in Jesus, who He is, and what he's done for us. And that is really good news. Um, it's may, it makes for us the way of salvation. There is no other way. There is just one way. And my question for you is, do you believe that Jesus died for you and paid the penalty for your sins? You have the answer to that. Next, God's provision has implications for the family. Uh, when God sent His Son to die for, for us, for you and for me, it has implications. And here's, here's a passage that maybe you haven't thought about the implications before. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ meaning if they're born again and they place their faith in Christ and now their sins are forgiven and now they are a child of God, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. We get forgiveness. We get a fresh start. We get a do-over. We, we have a new spiritual dimension. Um, we have the Holy Spirit now to live in us, to indwell in us, who is our resource and our strength. We can be controlled by the Holy Spirit. He can empower us, enable us. He can prompt us. He can lead us. He can guide us. And He can convict us of sin when we get out of line. Verse 18, And all this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciled us to Himself. In my former relationship, which I didn't really have, but my former standing with God was one of enmity because of my sin. Disharmony. 
I did not have the ability to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But because of what Jesus did, he died for me. And when I embraced that, back in 1974, I know because I was there, when I embraced that, he forgave me. And I came to faith as an adult, which is just a little bit different than Elise, and I did experience change. I'm not much of a person to talk about my feelings, but I knew I had been cleansed on the inside, and that was different. But it doesn't make any difference whether a person feels that or not. It's about the truth. It's not about our emotions. Now, God reconciled me to himself. He took my enmity, and he, and he, put, he changed it to a harmony and a new relationship that I could have with him. And then the, the Apostle Paul says, now we have this ministry of reconciliation. Now we are ministers of reconciliation. Our families are ministers of reconciliation. A family unit can help other people be reconciled to God. Verse 19, that God was reconciling, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them like like what we deserve, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We have a message, church. Our families have a message that can change our world. It can change our neighborhood. It can change our family. It can change our workplace. It can change our school. The message of reconciliation, that's been entrusted to us. And we've been given this job to be a minister of reconciliation for other people. But we have to be intentional about that. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And I've always loved that term, to think that I can be Christ's ambassadors. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to be perfect at everything. But I can just do, walk with Jesus and be a representative for him. Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. God put, his, God put sin on Jesus, that the, my penalty and your penalty on Jesus, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So God has appointed families to be messengers of reconciliation. Did you think about that? The family is the church in miniature. Families have the same mission as the church to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. Not only that, consider this. God is now working to restore His image in your family. God is working right now, today, to restore His image in your family. Be reminded we were created in the image of God, right? We saw that in Genesis 1. Sin has corrupted the image of God in our families. Jesus Christ redeemed us so that His image might be restored in us. The image of God restored in us. We have that hope. We have that potential. Romans 8, 
28 and 29. And the Apostle Paul writes this, and he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. You love him? God is working for good in your life. Who have been called according to his purpose. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The Apostle Paul is saying is if you are a Christ follower, God's desire is to mold you and change you and conform you and develop you into the image of his son, the image of God restored in you. Another way Paul, the Apostle Paul said it is, is, is until Christ is formed in you. That's what God desires. As you nurture your kids, parents, as you disciple your children, the image of God is being restored in your children. Also, number four, this is the last point. God has given instructions for healthy relationships. God has given instructions for us, for families. First of all, give God control of your life. Pretty simple. Jesus died for you. Give yourself to him. Ephesians 5.18 says this, Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Parents, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is crucial. We need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We need to yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We need the energy and strength of the Holy Spirit for those late nights and for those challenges and for those trials that we face. We need the strength of God to cope with temptation and overcome temptation when we raise our kids and God's power and God's strength is real. And sometimes we try to do it in our own strength. And boy, it just wears us out. And um, we have physical limitations. We all have physical limitations. But it's amazing what God can enable us to do. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, just, I'm going to just simply just remind us that for the Spirit to control me, I just need to make sure that I'm okay with God and that my sin is confessed, that my heart is clean before God. And I, then I just need to yield, give myself to God. I can just ask Him to fill me with His Holy Spirit. There doesn't have to be any feeling that goes with it. No emotions are required to be filled with the Holy Spirit. As you continue, you're going to experience some, some things that it's going to be more clear to you that was described as the fruit of the Holy Spirit, things like love and joy and peace. Is that helpful when it comes to parenting? Next, parents, work on building, work hard on building your marriage. Work hard. Ephesians 5.33, the Apostle Paul summarizes Ephesians 5 by saying, however, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Just a summary. Uh, it includes a mutual love. 
It includes a mutual respect and it includes a mutual submission. Also, teach your kids well. And here's a simple reminder. Teach your kids well. Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 9. Look at Deuteronomy 6. So this was given to God's people in the Old Testament. There's no reason that it doesn't apply to us directly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jesus said this is the first and greatest commandment. So this is for us. We are to make God number one priority with our heart, with our soul, with our physical strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. This is where it starts. And this is where the big breakdown is in Christian families so many times because parents are trying to raise their kids as Christians without having this on their hearts. They love other things more than they love the Lord sometimes. And there's a huge breakdown between parents and children. So when you love God with your heart, then then you can impress them on your children. It's real. It's genuine. But if, there's, if it's not genuine, it doesn't help your kids very much. They can see the real deal. They can see the work of the Holy Spirit. And they can want that for themselves. So impress them. Uh, next slide. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when, when you lie down and when you get up. Just everyday life. You can talk about spiritual things. You can teach truth. You can talk about God. You can talk about what God has done. You can, you can talk to them about how, how prayer works and how God answers prayer. Um, it says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Now, in the first century, they did this literally. You know, they, they, they put them on their hands. They had these little uh, bracelets with a little pouch on it and it had a scripture inside. Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord. Pretty spiritual, right? Nothing wrong with that. But it, it wasn't about wearing a bracelet. It was about put the scriptures into your Work into what you do during the day, what you touch with your hands. And put the scripture uh, in your, your foreheads. And, and so some of them had this little leather band they wore around their head with a, with a pouch and it had scripture in it. That's cool. You can do that. Nothing wrong with that. But it was about your thought life. It was about applying scripture to the way you think and how you make decisions. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, door, door frames. And they did that too. And we have a little mezuzah at home, a little metal box that's at our, one of the door frame to our, to our sliding glass window. It's got scripture inside of it. It's just a reminder for us. It's a reminder to live out truth in our homes. That makes it living it out in our marriage. Um, to live out truth in our homes. And, in, uh, and the gates, in the, it's in the public areas. We're, we're to, when we go out into public, when we go to the grocery store, when we go to our workplace, wherever we go, public life, 
we, take, we live out Scripture in public places, not just, not just private places. Another important concept comes from uh, Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, this is for children, but the responsibility is for parents. And if you love the Lord, and this is on your heart, it's way easier to impart this to your kids. If you demonstrate the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your family, it's going to be much easier for your family to learn. Um, I had a seminary professor, it was really my, Sue and my favorite professor, and he said, men, you cannot impart what you do not possess. Sometimes we Christians try to teach our kids stuff that we haven't experienced ourselves. Parents, we cannot impart if we don't own it ourselves. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This applies to both fathers and mothers. Sometimes we have expectations on our kids that are not realistic. Sometimes they're too high. Sometimes we might expect a three-year-old to act like a five-year-old or a five-year-old to act like a 10-year-old or a 10-year-old to act like a 15-year-old. And sometimes expectations aren't realistic and our kids get exasperated. And then there's Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. And this is the last passage in this section. This is a great one to practice for healthy homes. Paul writes, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may be benefit those who listen. Boy, parents, if we can practice this in our relationships at home, our kids are going to learn so much. I learned that my parents were often very angry and hurt by each other. And so they just raised their voice. That's the only thing I knew to do when I got married. I didn't know there were other ways to communicate or to resolve a conflict. Um, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We cause great grief to God's heart when we hurt each other with words. Whether it's a brother or sister, mom or dad, or parent to a child. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. You know, it's like taking inventory. When this stuff appears, move it out of your life. Stop, confess it before God, confess it to, you, to the people that you've messed up or that you've hurt. Get rid of it, start over. And lastly, be, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. If God can forgive us, can we forgive each other in our homes? 
Can brothers and sisters forgive each other? Can mom and dad forgive each other? Can kids forgive their parents? If, if they grew up in an environment where people talk like this and are kind and they're willing to forgive, they learn forgiveness. But where, when parents don't show forgiveness, how do the kids, no matter how many times they go to church, how are the kids supposed to learn to forgive one another if they don't see it? So we've talked about a lot of things today. It's kind of a 30,000 feet flyover, kind of a big picture of God's design for the family. He's always had a plan. He's always had a purpose for your family. It has not changed. God created you and every family member in your family in His image. Now, problem is, we have this human condition that often fails God, and it's called sin. God has given us a way to cope with that. He's, he's paid the price for our sin. He's given us a resolution. He's given us a do-over. And not only that, He gives us do-overs every day as we need them. And God is patient and kind, and He is working right now to restore His image to conform us to the image of Christ. Our mission has not changed. We are still messengers of reconciliation. There was a promise uh, for parents in the Old Testament. It was uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 29. And Moses says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me. This is God speaking. Moses writing it down. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me, to fear the Lord, and keep all my commands always, so it might go well with them. To be a fully devoted follower of Christ. To keep all my commands always, so that it might go well with them, the parents, and their children forever, because you can impact your kids forever. May we embrace this same promise. Let's stand and pray. Father, thank you uh, for uh, your design for the family. Thank you for um, the wisdom you've given us. Thank you for sharing the design from the very beginning. God, help us to see and understand your purpose and plan. May we walk with you. May we seek uh, to train up our families and children in our church as we, as we do that as a team in ways that honor you. And may we as parents live before you as examples to our kids for Jesus' sake. Amen.